This is the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 Podcast. Welcome to the 313 Podcast at the Center for Cybersecurity and Intelligence Studies at the University of Detroit Mercy. Today, I am talking with a good friend and a member of our advisory board here at the University of Detroit Mercy, Dave Trader. He's the CISO for Presidio, and I love, met him and his lovely wife, Jenny, many years ago, and we have been friends, and uh, we have watched his career go up, 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 and I can't wait for him to tell you a little bit about himself and the pathway that he's taken in the cybersecurity career. Dave? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I uh, uh, started my career in the United States Marine Corps uh, back in 1998. Seems like forever ago now. Uh, and my focus back then was uh, was based on encryption, and we used to take encryption and wrap it around communications, and didn't matter where that communications went. It could be satellite communications, radio communications, ship to shore. Um, and then about that time, we started getting into Cipernet and Nippernet moving through uh, on the network side. So I got to kind of kick things off on the intelligence side and was attached to uh, 1st Battalion, 24th Marines, and ended up uh, finishing out my career there. And uh, after that, I, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a little while, thought I wanted to go into law enforcement on the police officer side and just started seeing that I liked doing police work. Uh, I was a police officer for Northville Township for a little while and really liked that, but it just wasn't enough for me. I wanted more. So I started uh, going after every certification in cybersecurity that you can imagine. And uh, I think I have over 70 today from just leveraging some of the different avenues that um, the federal government kind of provided for veterans to get into that space. So I just took full advantage of that and just uh, one right after the other just kept going. And then I became a CISO at uh, Galaxy Solutions and was there for seven years. And it's a software development company and had uh, responsibility internationally with them and got uh, quite a bit of experience as a CISO in, in learning all things on the infrastructure and the cyber side and building out the SOC and then also protecting the products that we had. You know, we were shipping software. So knowing what the SDLC looked like and what the gate checks looked like and how to do DevSecOps, a lot of fun experience out of that. And then uh, moved into a consulting role in 2019 as a cybersecurity practice lead for Presidio. And that brings me up to where I'm at today. Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about Presidio so the folks know what kind of company this is that you work for? Sure, absolutely. So Presidio has been around for a long time, and they primarily focus on digital transformation. And they're historically known for kind of full stack services and routers and switching and network architecture and data center and uh, collab space and everything you need to build out an infrastructure and what you've got at the enterprise level. And cybersecurity, they've added that in the last five, 10 years, and they've also invested heavily in that through acquisition of some great companies that have come on board. Uh, and today, the cybersecurity practice alone is a $750 million business. So they're massive on the infrastructure side, a lot of heavy advisory services, professional services. We do everything from staff augmentation to smart hands in the field. There's just numerous things we can do. But the one thing that I liked about Presidio was when I looked at where I could go for consulting, I didn't want to give my customer homework. I didn't want to have to say, well, this is a switch problem. Or you've got this vulnerability that exists in your collab software in your communication. So you have to go do this, Mr. and Ms. Customer. You have to go do this and then come back to me and then I can reevaluate. I didn't like that style of consulting. I wanted to have the ability to say, 
You don't have to do that. You can if you'd like, but I have a SME that can come in here and it knows that part of the business and they're experts in that particular field and it was just an email for me. So that's the reason that I picked Presidio and I've loved having that. I have an army behind me that can help me at every front and it doesn't matter what part of the network it is. We're highly proficient in cloud. We're number one AWS partner uh, in the country, you know, and we work with Cisco heavily and Palo Alto's heavily on the cyber side. So uh, just a lot of great relationships and uh, that's one of the things that I enjoy. I don't have to give homework. I can handle all of it if you want me to, if you need me to. So it's a great benefit. I think that harkens back to your days in the service, right? Where yeah. you guys just did it, right? You yeah. found the right guys and you guys rolled your sleeves up and you fixed it. Yeah. You know, I'll pass this on to somebody else. One of those things I know that we've talked about before, David, when you come out of the military and you're situationally aware and you have a different lens than folks that just, you know, were in their basement gaming and, yeah. and discovered hacking um, yeah. and discovered, you know, that they could make some money if they started working for the good, that kind of thing. You come at it this way. A whole different lens, right? And, and like you said, you even were thinking about and went into physical policing for a while. And yet, it's funny because I come from physical security as well, right? So as a PI, I look at things differently than my husband, who's you know quite the intellect and who's an amazing thinker. But we come at things way differently. I think we make a great couple that way because you know I help him with the physical piece and thinking like a bad guy. <laughs> And he's got all these lovely solutions and these architectures and ways of thinking of things from top down. And so I think it sounds like that you're working for the perfect company because you get to put all of those gifts all in one place. Yeah, I feel that way. And you make a couple of great points in the Marine side of me, right? The Marines are also uh, uniquely positioned because they're the force that can see air, land and sea, right? So if you've got other branches, you know, the Air Force, they don't specialize in that. But the Marines, they made it a point to specialize in every aspect. And I do bring that to the table. And that mission accomplishment piece, I think, is the other part of what you're mentioning. And just understanding that you can have a full site picture, full site alignment of battlefield intelligence, everything that goes into how you attack a problem and take that 360 degree approach to protecting something that comes right out of the basic skills and fundamentals on battlefield intelligence and how to put a battle plan together. So I do bring that to the corporate world, which I think at the beginning of my career, it may have been just a little bit too aggressive for corporate America at that time. But I what you're talking about. When I, when I went into academia, they were like, what's wrong with this woman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for sure, I've definitely calmed down over the years and it's certainly reflected, but I have board conversations and I like to transact at multiple levels and Historically, especially in the recent past, that's the conversations I'm having. I'm having C-level and board-level conversations, and we're talking about strategy. But I also love the analytical part where I can talk to that security analyst, and I can say, what are you doing today? As a CISO, I used to do that. I would just sit with the analyst and say, what are you working on? And by the way, what barriers do you have? You know, what's in your way? What can I get you? What tools can I get you to do your job more efficiently? And it worked like a charm, right? You know, if he's got seven people or direct reports standing behind him, that conversation can make them feel uncomfortable because the next time I have it, they've already removed the barrier. So it's a two-edged sword all the way around. Oh, but, absolutely. So yeah. you took away all the excuses. But the other piece is <laughs> yeah. because you have the knowledge, and of course, that's what we're trying to sort of bake in with our master's degree program, right? Yeah. You were at one time those boots on the ground. And so you know that there can be things that are preventing really good people from doing the things that they need to do. Yeah. And so they're not getting the pointed-headed boss who's asking them to do the impossible. They're getting someone who sits down with them and says, okay, 
How yeah. do we make this better? What are we doing right and wrong? And let's get through this together as a team, right? Again, I think that comes back from your military background again, you know, that whole team mentality and that way of, you know, making sure that your forces have everything that they need, right? And we need to think about that that way a lot, right, in this thing, right? I mean, one of the things that I think we run up against, and I think that you were talking about Presidio, that you don't have that problem because they offer all of the services and all of the solutions is that we get very stovepiped, right? And the solutions look like whatever we are the expert in. <laughs> yeah. <Rather> than <laughs> what it actually is, right? And so and it, it, if you have that group mentality of looking at it from a lot of different angles, you're much more able to come up with a multi-pronged solution that's going to maybe hold the enemy at bay for a tiny bit, you know? Yeah. Um, nothing scares me more when someone says, oh, I got this. Oh, I know. Um, Oh, man, I want to say, oh, my word, you have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same way. I frequently will tell the customers that I have is if you've got somebody that thinks that they've got this problem completely beat or that they try and pretend that they've got some type of advantage, you can't do that. There are no guarantees in this. And you have to think about this. We're way beyond the teenager in the grandmother's basement with the hoodie. That's not what a proper profile of a hacker is today. These are organizations with departments and they have their own C-levels. They have their own help desk. They have their own operations and cloud operations, and you're up against a sizable adversary, depending on who you're dealing with. I've seen it, and I think we just need to get that out of our head that what we're protecting against is someone who's going to accidentally trip over an open port on a firewall. That's just not what we're going to see today. Like you said, that if today's news hasn't gotten everybody's attention, that this is multi-pronged attack and a war to get our information, to get our finances, to get all of the good stuff that we have, all of our crown jewels, as Dan loves to call them, right? Mm -hmm. If we keep going at it the way we've been going at it, it's definitely not going to be a good thing. But I think there's an awful lot more folks like you now in the field that are thinking about it the way that you are. What are some of the active threats that are prolific right now? It's definitely a new world we're living in. And like you said, these folks are pros. Yeah, I mean, they're training longer and harder than we are. They're organized better than we are, all that kind of good stuff. What's out there that we need to worry about or be thinking about at least? Sure. And I'm seeing there's a draw to this side. Even when you go down the path with a full intent of learning how to defend against this, there's still a draw. There's an interest. You know, there's a curiosity as to what can I get my hands on? And it's a tough thing to resist, but there are laws in place. You have to realize, you know, the environment that you're in. I'm seeing everything from pretty much any attack that you can think of is available. Um, you can purchase these as prepackaged. If you're writing your own code, you basically can sell this and offer these attacks off. These attacks also come with quality assurance, meaning um, they you can buy them. Wait, if, you have a guarantee? They give you a guarantee based on the security that oh. the company has. So let's say like a company has Symantec. They've got a version of the attack that's guaranteed to pass, you know, SEP 12, SEP 14, you know, whatever the, the, the particular right. AV happens to be on the endpoint. There's app stores out there on the deep web that are specifically focused and targeted in on this. So it's just changing the mindset of what people think about when they think about these organizations. But, you know, the most damaging thing that I'm seeing out there today is, is ransomware. And then that takes you down a path of talking about business email compromise, which is the number one attack vector, right? The user clicking on a link and opening up a command and control, that is still the number one way in. I have a red team, and I sit on our critical incident response team for Presidio, and I get those phone calls from the CIOs that are like, I'm locked up, hair on fire, I need your help right now, get here as fast as you can. And really, I've seen 50, 60% of the network tied up before we're able to start cutting cords and say, you actually have to physically disconnect from the Internet. You're completely compromised. And we have to stop that proliferation. 
those attacks are so damaging. I mean, businesses can close over this. And I think that that's something that everyone needs to understand is I know that security is not your primary business and you're going to need some help and bring in some teams and maybe some managed services to help augment a small team if you have it. But you really have to focus on this. It has to be because if you're out on the fringes and you think you're hiding from this problem, you're not. They're going to find you. It's just a simple port scan. And they're doing that everywhere. So when they all of a sudden pop up on the radar as not having the right setting or they'll see something that makes you vulnerable and they'll say, okay, we ran that play three months ago. And these are automated scripts. It doesn't even take manual intervention anymore. So the idea of we don't have anything hackers want. I've heard that, you know, that's complacency. And I'm trying to get CIOs and CFOs to realize that complacency model and thinking that you can hide from this issue, that'll get you so far, but that's not a strategy. So coming up with what we can do to work on that, it's been just something I do every day. So I call this left and right a boom, and I get that from the FBI CISO Academy, and you know that from an investigative standpoint and how they do mass casualty investigations. It's just how the Bureau does that. But boom is the incident, right? And I always say that boom is some type of security breach, or I quantify a security breach as exfiltration. So as data leaves an environment, pretty much if the data stays in the environment, I will typically say that's a security incident, but not necessarily a breach. And that gets us into some language around GRC and governance risk and compliance on that side. But I have a lot of conversations that are right of boom, meaning after the incident and the toothpaste is out of the tube and we're trying to put it back in there. We're trying to recover and we're going through triage and stabilization and getting them to recovery and we're estimating blast radius and what's affected. That part is not as fun for me. I like helping people when they're in an emergency situation and you're trying to help them recover. But you're also dealing at that point with 10x of investment, right? On the other side of that conversation, left of boom, you're having conversations on preventative and you're being proactive and you're getting ahead of this. And that's when your dollar, you can get a dollar for dollar. You know, the dollar goes a lot further on that side of the conversation, whereas there's just so much baked in with cyber insurance and cyber insurance doesn't cover everything. You've got to bring in a cyber legal team so that everything that you're doing is covered under confidentiality and attorney client privilege. There's just so much that a lot of people don't think about. And so what I like to do is just propose a tabletop exercise and just say, what if this happened? And just mock step through it just to start the wheels turning. And then, of course, get granular on what controls are in place and how do you stop something like this? There are best practices to stop these things. You know, for I always say 90 to 95 percent, if it's state sponsored, I'm not going to tell you that I can stop that. Right. But there are things that we can do to stop the other organizations, the organized crime side. We can just make it more difficult. And it's the old adage of how do you run from a bear? I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than the person next to me. A lot of that philosophy does go into making it just difficult enough where the hacker says, okay, I'm moving on to the next target because it's a target rich environment. Absolutely. And I mean, you talked about the fact that, you know, these kinds of things can close businesses. So I've read that in small and medium businesses, one in four getting a ransom attack will not be in business at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, it's having true impact on our economy and our growth. And I like it, too, because we go back to what you said earlier about the fact that the number one vulnerability here is the user. It's a cultural thing, right? Like you said, we think that we don't have what they want, so they're not going to get us. We don't have crown jewels. I'm just a florist. You know, I'm just some small corporation that, you know, makes a a widget. And who cares about that? And um, it's like, no, you you have a bank account, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I think they're especially counting on even with these small and medium businesses. They're doing quantity, right? So even if they're not getting big, big bucks out of you, it adds up at the end of the day. And so it's a cultural thing with our employees and our people. And it's why I went to the K-12 thing. You know, I really feel like the minute those kids have 
any kind of electronics in their hand. They need to know that there are security protocols that they need to take, just like if they're going to operate anything else. They get in the yeah. car, they know they put on their seatbelt. I wear that one out because I use that. So I feel like you go on the Internet, you know you've got to do a certain things to make sure that you're safe. Yeah. And then if we bake that in early enough, I feel like that's going to help us along the way, right? So even when these kids are coming up with all this lovely innovations that they're coming up with, they'll already be thinking security. Yeah. Rather than snapping it on at the end, rather than having to get consultants like you guys to kind of think about it after. Like you said, the toothpaste is already out. Yeah. Hey, get it back in. <laughs> and like you said, my hair's on fire, you know, and it's like, well, what could you have done maybe not to have that happen? Yeah. Maybe we could go back there and see how maybe we could have prevented those kinds of things. And I think that's a truly important service right now. And I still think as much as we've got things going on and as many things that are in the newspaper and and then and, and, I still don't think people are taking it as seriously as they should. I mean, is that just me? Because one of the things I fear is us that are in this piece are talking to each other. And it's an us and them, those that are in it, and, and we get it, and those folks that aren't. And basically, that's why I wanted this podcast to put this together, was to be able to say things to general people who this isn't their thing. This is still important for you. And what can you do to help not be the victim, right? And yeah. so, like you said earlier, these attacks are becoming more organized. They're more systematic. They know exactly what they're going after. Again, they can go in a catalog, right? I mean, they can go out there on the web and just say, okay, this is what I want to do today. You know, and some of them are doing it for profit and some of them are doing it for fun just to see what they can get away with. And like you said, I don't fear the ones that are doing it for fun quite as much as the ones that are so organized. But how do you see some of these things going down as this increases and it gets more sophisticated? What are we going to do, damn it? Yeah, I really like your safety analogy with the seatbelt. And starting at a young age, I think it's so vital because once we get into the privacy conversation and children and the exploitation of so many things, the part of the web that is uncomfortable for everybody to talk about, right? Preventing that and watching out for that and investing in ways that we can police that Everyone's behind that, of course, and coming up with ways that we can stop that type of activity is, is certainly something that we need to bake in and we need to teach our kids how to be safe online. And I think you have to start in those young ages and talk about, you know, what a stranger looks like online and different aspects and how to stay safe online, but also just how to defend the device that they're on in and of itself on the IoT side. So we're talking about the actual device and what does that look like? What should they turn on when they get in the car, right? Where's the seatbelt and how do I click it when I get in the vehicle? You know, what's a VPN? How does that work and how do I set that up and why is that important? I think one of the things that I struggle with is I try to come up with a less abrasive word than complacency. And I've also been told that I blame the end user too much. And I know that we have to partner with the end users and I have a responsibility. I am an end user just like everyone else. I've got a responsibility to know my system that I'm logging onto and I need to know what the policies are and what I'm allowed to do on what systems and where. And I think that complacency is the best word that I've found for it so far. But there's also a lack of, okay, what do I do? Yes, I know a VPN is good for me. Do I need to turn it on every time I grab my device, grab my phone? You know, shouldn't that be on? You know, how to set it up properly so that you're utilizing encrypted communication so that your phone calls and everything else, it's two-way encrypted traffic. And that goes back to what we used to do in the Marines and Department of Defense. 
Same thing. You need to have that because it prevents a man in the middle attack. It prevents clear text. Is that we're not picking passwords out of the air. Yes, that's possible. Yes, it happens. You know, I've spoken at Black Hat. I've seen them right. do it to the wall of sheep out there in Vegas. Yeah. You have to have very simple things that are even free. You should do some due diligence on what tools that you deploy on any device, but there are good ones out there that are effective that will protect your data. And you should also be careful of what you're allowing on those devices. Don't just click allow as you get the device and you're clicking through just granting access to everything, including location. And I think, again, we go back to the K-12 through space and some of the social media apps between TikTok and Snapchat. Those social interactions are great and how they network with each other. But think about that from a predator perspective. It's a target-rich environment if everyone's just clicking through and, you know, here's my location. Here's access to all my photos. Here's everything that comes with, you know, how personal your iPhone device is and how prolific they are into what you do on a daily basis, but also how much data we entrust in that device. We right? give away. Let's be honest, yeah, right? Give away. Yeah. We're just giving it away. I mean, used to be people had to actually pay for it, <laughs> but yeah. now, you know, in fact, I think it, sometimes we're paying for it to give it away. You know, when you download some of those apps, you know, three ninety nine, you're like, oh, okay, no problem on that one. And then you realize that it's a flashlight app and it wants to know your location and all of your contacts. Yeah. Really? Yep. Why? Why would it have to have that stuff? So you just paid for them to have access to all that. Yeah. And I think that as a society, we need to actually hold those app stores accountable, right? And I know Google Store and the Apple App Store, they do a good job. They've done kind of a culling where they've taken out, you know, a hundred or a thousand apps at a time that have some of those things. And they're doing a better job of how they acquire apps and what it takes to pass through some of their quality assurance testing. I think that's really where we pay attention there. You're always going to be able to go to a website and do a drive-by and download something. That's always going to happen. But where the majority goes to to the well to get those applications and you can step up security and scrutiny on the screening side before you're allowed to post something like that into the app store because that particular app you're talking about that flashlight app that was available on the apple store for a long time before they actually figured out how to pull it down you know it's a learning experience but just raising awareness that, that it's out there and this doesn't just affect k-12 through it's great to get habits developed early on how to be secure and how to maintain privacy but on the other end of that there's certainly adults who have not had their entire life on technology that have adapted this over the years that didn't pick up the right habits as the technology came out i remember 1994 i remember when the internet came out you know the children today are like what are you talking about you're so you know, old, right you know? <laughs> so, we date ourselves yeah. i know right dinosaurs roam the earth as well <laughs> Yeah, I get that a lot too. But as we've adapted and adopted this technology going forward, it's only going to get better. It's supposed to make things easier, right? But it can be one of those things that we have to step through cautiously and just be smart about how we do it. Absolutely. Like you said, our users are our number one problem. So we're talking about a workforce and, you know, not the young ones that have had all of these things. But we've got a huge amount of folks that are our workforce that, again, have that mindset of they're not coming after me. I got an email from Janie and she says to click on this link. I know Janie, and so I'm going to click on the link. And then, poof, my company has now been taken over. Whoopsie. Dan and I just watched a couple of days ago. We're trying to look for nicer days. We were binging West Wing. Oh, yeah. I love that one. (laughs) And there was a thing about how one of the gals, Donna, decided to email all of the assistants about the calorie count in the muffin. And it ended up, it created a DOS attack because 
the system, now this is a while back, right? The system couldn't handle that many emails back and forth from everybody. But I mean, clearly our users don't know, right? And it is behoove us rather than, you know, user shame, yeah. educate, right? And, yeah, embrace, and, sure. And to make it easy enough for them to be able to grasp it and to understand it. I mean, that behooves us as security people though, right? To break it down so that it's nice and easy and understandable. Are there any suggestions that you, as somebody who has kids, wife, parents that I'm sure you're tech support for yeah. and, and, and right out there that you, that you run into and not the major, major corporations that you're keeping from being lit on fire, but just what are the ordinary kind of things we need to be doing so that you see a lot out there that you're like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so I would certainly love to have a zero trust conversation with that group of people you just mentioned, but it's not really practical, right? So <laughs> at the enterprise level, there, there's certainly different types of conversations between SASE and, you know, what's out there and what's available and how to go about best practice and heading down a, a card, a path and a sore conversation to make sure your operations are looking good. But most home users and, you know, family members are not going to have that. My house might be, you know, a little bit different just because of what I do for a living, but the simple steps. It's right? nice to know, Dave, because, you know, there's a lot of house painters that don't paint their house and so it would be scary to know how many cybersecurity folks don't actually secure their own stuff so well, your yours is cool well we talk about shadow it a lot too and that's at the enterprise level we've always been concerned about shadow it because people are using personal devices and byod came onto the scene a while ago and think about what COVID did it inverted the entire model right so now shadow it you could be on it right now, you know, because you're utilizing SaaS-based applications and you're talking back to the data center, maybe through VPN, maybe not. And since I don't own the device that you're on, what type of visibility do I have and really where can I insert that and get that visibility? So that's an enterprise conversation. You know, to your question on the family side, I'd like to make sure that I have asset control, meaning I like to know what assets are on the network if I'm providing, you know, an internet service or Wi-Fi. I'd keep a check on that. There's a lot of open source tools, which is also free. These are open source tools that you can run on your home network. And if you, even if you're not tech savvy, the most basic thing that you can do is run a virtual private network, have a VPN on the devices itself to get that dual encryption. And there are simple ways that you can put things out there to kind of mask or cloak your home network. And that's in the DNS on the router itself. Instead of just taking the basic steps of accepting whatever your cable company or your internet service provider gave you as the default settings, there's some things that you can do on there. Especially, I can't tell you how important it is to change your router password. A lot of people just say, okay, I've got the password and it might be on a sticker on the back of the router or that might just be the default, which used to be very simple and available online for anybody to be able to now get into finding your public IP address because it's listed on every email you send from that location, right? So you can get that out of an email header. So there's a lot of things that you can do. I would say just the most basic of the basic, right, is make sure you come up with a complex password for the home router at least, right? And make sure that if there's any type of content filtering, do that. Enable some of those security features. And if you're worried about productivity or throughput or efficiency or an increase in lag time or latency, don't be. It's not a noticeable difference. Security is not going to slow down the connection when you're trying to squeeze every ounce of blood out of the turnip that you can. You have to leverage security even on the home side and have some type of MDR, EDR, endpoint detection or response. You know, having some type of antivirus, we used to call it antivirus, today we call it endpoint detection. Having something that doesn't have to be military grade, it can be just something that works for your devices, it's worth the investment to have that visibility and to know, okay, something's wrong on this particular device in the house. I think that that's just a smart way of going about it. 
And again, some of those antiviruses even come with VPNs that you can set up. And like you said, they're getting better, right? So like in the beginning of virus things and that, they did kind of slow it down. My husband would call it pig slow. You know, everything's running pig slow. But it doesn't happen anymore, right? They've, they've, yeah. they've really done a good job of doing that. And then bundling a lot of services in them. And then you have one interface that you've got to worry about. So it really isn't that complicated. You don't have to be a cybersecurity person to be able to download a good virus protection that has VPNs and that does a safe check for Internet sites that you go to and all that kind of good stuff. And it takes a minute, not all that long, though. And how about people who have their password and their login for their things, their name? Once again, like you said, it's easy enough for an expert to look in your email and see what your IP address is. But when you then add your name to it, then what's their favorite pets? And, oh, that must be their password, right? Again, we're oversharing on social media so much that it makes it easy for the bad guys. Not so easy for you to come up with some great passwords if you're going to use all those kind of things that you're broadcasting to the world. Yeah, there are programs in Kali Linux that will do this, and you can just run a compromise assessment utilizing Kali Linux. And Kali Linux is an operating system primarily used for offensive security. So there's a program in there on the social engineering side, which you can give a username, maybe an email address, and it'll give you the history. It'll give you all kinds of information across the web of what it can find. It seems like it's daunting and what can I do against these types of tools? There are best practices that you can put in place. And another one of those would be MFA, multi-factor authentication. And a lot of us are used to using that in our daily lives. When you try and access your bank account from anywhere and they're going to authenticate you on an account that only you should have access to, whether that be email or they're going to send a text to your phone, they're going to interact with you to verify that it's you before they allow that session to happen. You can do that on your own. There's MFA out there that's available and you can third party your Amazon account when you go to log into Amazon or your Gmail accounts. You can layer on multi-factor authentication and you get a huge return on investment, especially when it's free. But you also increase your security significantly by having something like that. It takes away the account takeover aspect, or at least you're going to see a bunch of things that are asking you to authenticate when you're not trying to. That's the telltale sign that someone's trying to get into your account, right? And you need to recognize those attempts and be able to stop that. But that's a control, and that represents a control that you can put in place on the personal side, which is pretty simple, but it also has high efficiency on protecting you. But we fight some of that stuff so much, right? You know, it's funny how the banking industry and the Amazon accounts and your Google accounts now suddenly, they don't let you have a choice anymore. They right. used to let you decide whether or not you want to opt in or opt out of that. But there's so much shenanigans going on, right, that yeah. now they make you do it and you get used to doing it and you realize, oh, it's not that a big a deal. Yeah. No, I get a text with a number in it. I can handle a six-digit number. Okay. You know, it's really not slowing me down that much in my life, yeah. you know, to enter that six-digit number to know that it's me. And it's not some bad guy trying to get into my bank account or whatever. And so many of these things that we do on a regular basis, like Amazon and our banking, they have ways of doing that. I mean, even your like your Visa card has the same kind of thing where you have to put in that other identifier in order to actually use your card online. And that's, and that's all free to us as consumers. It's just getting us used to doing that and thinking that way. And again, like you said, we don't want to shame them, users, and we don't want to do stranger danger so much so that people yes. are all afraid. And also hate us and cybersecurity people, yeah. right? I mean, oh, no, the cybersecurity people are coming. It means they're going to say no to us on everything that we want to do. Because we truly want to enable this, right? Yeah. Get to the heart of the cybersecurity person. And we love the technology. Yes. We love all this cool stuff that's out there and that. We just don't love the fact that bad guys can use it against us. Yeah. 
And I completely agree. Cybersecurity used to have a reputation of being the office of no, right? We were just going to come in and shut everything down and here's your restrictions and no, you can't have this. And I think that with the onset of DevSecOps and being able to get into the operation side with how we're handling development and getting into some coding and really it's just about on that side of the house, you should think of security as another quality check, right? Yeah. Is this secure? And you wouldn't put out bad code that didn't function properly. Well, security needs to be a core aspect of how you evaluate your product. And that starts down at the assembly code level. And we bring it all the way forward. And I know as a CISO, I certainly had to say no and hold my ground quite a few times. But I love the technology. I love learning about this. And I want you to be able to get to your end state, your end goal, what you want to deliver. And I just want you to be able to do that securely and safely and make sure that we're protecting Anybody who's going to utilize that tool and protect their privacy at the same time. Tall order, right? That's a tall order. And there's a lot that goes into that. Well, we talked offline before we got on and we were talking about job protections. I mean, this career field is wide and deep and there's so many different areas to it and it's not going away tomorrow. And we need more folks that are involved in it. But I mean, I think that talking about it in sort of layman's terms and talking about it as a career path that is not just real, real narrow. Because like you said, everyone thought you're going to be the bad guy always in the company, right? And I'm going to be the no guy. And it's like, no, I'm going to help you with your innovation, make it even better. Because like you said, no one wants to injure somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, in any way, right? You want to be making their lives better, not worse. And so now that's where we are. And it is a cool time, but it can't get the word out enough. Right. Yeah. You know, and I love your background. Your background is so cool and so vast and so different. And you have adapted and moved through from the military and getting cert. So you're clearly a life learner, which is, again, something that this area needs because it's not stagnant. Some people say, oh, well, gosh, I don't want to have to keep learning things. And I'm the opposite. Please let me keep learning things. Because the minute I stop learning, I'm done. Yeah. So I'm bored to death and I <laughs> can't stand it, right? Yeah. Let's find something new to do. And this field does that. And I've seen you reinvent yourself over here and it's been quite the journey. Would you do it any other way? I mean, you, you know, know when I got into this and I don't want to date myself either, but uh, <laughs> when I got into this, there were two separate paths. You could choose computer science or you could choose criminal justice. And depending on the path you took, maybe you could augment law enforcement at some point if you went on the computer science side. But law enforcement, you know, badge gun patrolling and getting into the detective work and doing investigations. I always had that. So I went through a police academy and got all that training. And then I didn't expect to see the paradigm shift or the convergence of those two things and not just the convergence, but even the takeover on the technology side today, utilizing key components of any investigation. If you're a detective and you don't have the technology side down, you can get to the information so much faster to help solve these crimes. So I get to do two of the passions that I love and being able to help out law enforcement, to be able to, even from a messaging perspective and letting them know that federal law enforcement and the Bureau, they want to work with these companies and want to work with these individuals and they want to help. You know, one of the stats that stuck with me from the academy is 80 percent of our critical infrastructure in the United States is privately held. Well, we're not a communist state, so the Bureau is not going to just storm in and say, you know, your critical infrastructure, we're going to take over. They have to be invited. It's a partnership. So they've invested a lot in that public-private partnership and the office of the private sectors that they have. And everybody's also got this misconception that if you need to work with the Bureau, they're going to show up in raid jackets and they're going to be in your conference rooms. It's going to be uncomfortable. 
It's not. They're the epitome of professionals to work with. They sit down with you, and just like another C-level executive on an advisory panel, they come in, they know their stuff, and they know how to help you. And you'd never even know that it was the Bureau unless they happen to tell you. They're just highly trained professionals that come in and help. And that's one of the things that I like to always talk about is just I'd like to change the conception a little bit because at some point you're a victim of a federal crime. If you've been the victim of some type of insurgency into your network, that's a federal crime right at the gate, right off the word go. So understanding that that's the hat that they put on and they come in and they help you, just like if you're the victim of any other crime. So I like seeing that, you know, the technology side, even though I chose that side second, I like seeing how it interweaves and interchanges with two passions that I have. And to your point, there's no silver bullet, right? We're going to be doing this. You know, I'll be doing this till I'm 90. And of course, I hope to see others follow. That's the reason I also like to help with that. And I know that Detroit Mercy is doing a great job these days helping converge that as well. I've been reading about what you guys do on the education side, and you're providing students with the ability to not have to choose between those two paradigms. You're saying there's a path to both. You can do both. If you love technology and you're an investigator, well, we need both of those in one person. Let's do it. And you're training towards that as well. So I've been just fascinated and really love what I'm seeing come out of there as well. Yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Speaking of education, you're doing a little bit of teaching on the side as well. I have been trying to do some adjunct as well. What are you doing this from? One in the morning? Yeah, I can't really get to it. I know. I try and drop in at least a semester. It's more of a guest speaking than it is adjunct anymore because there's so much going on. During COVID, we've seen an uptick in the attacks that are happening across the board. So I'm so busy putting out fires that typically I can't really get to the adjunct side. But I do love it. I want to help. And I can kill four days talking about this stuff. So, you know, what's an hour talking to a group of individuals that want to learn this more? Well, they're so hungry for the information, right? So I've been working in the K-12 space, and I talk to these shiny new little pennies, these middle schooler and high school kids, you know, and they're just so excited about the technology and about the things that can be done. And give them some tools and show them the way. They're just excited. And I joke about, you know, I should be paying them to have the experience because (laughs) it's so affirming, right? And I'm sure it's the same for you. And it's in a different situation than when it's the folks that you're working with, right? You're not their boss, right? You know, you're just imparting all of the knowledge that you've gotten over the years with them. And it's very cool to see interaction. You get to feel what what my husband's been feeling for the last 37 years now (laughs) of teaching and that and all the folks that we get to see and all the alums that come back and we we see all that progression that they've had. It's just a really cool thing. I'm glad that you're involved in doing that as well because you have a unique pathway. That's another thing that I like to get out there, too, is that this is not necessarily a straight pathway. Well, I would love it if in kindergarten you started learning cyber, and then by the time you graduated, you were ready to rock and roll and hit one of the colleges or the universities and come out the other end and be able to conquer worlds for us and keep everything safe. It also can be a meandering path, too, to get there. Yeah. And maybe not exactly as you expected. So like you said, you went into the Marines, and you were very much into the physical policing part. As technology was coming, it's almost like my, I mean, it's a different story, but almost the same because you know, I was in the investigation part and the internet became hot and listservs and people on the internet sharing information. And I ended up being able to do way more sitting at the office at my terminal than I could do traipsing all over town trying to find something. And so those paths can come all different ways. And it's because it is such a huge industry, you know, there's definitely something in there for everybody. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and we're all on one team, too. I mean, even if this isn't your thing, please know something about protecting yourself and yours. 
Yes, absolutely. I think that it is key and it's got to be something that we, not only on the academia side, as we see students progress through K through 12 and having those requirements and getting them to have an understanding of the good and bad side of this, right? Because while the technology is out there, just making them safe on the privacy side is something I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that we're protecting the young ones in society. The other side of this is the mentorship piece. I do enjoy that and I wish I had more time to dive into it. I consider Dan a mentor as well. I like what he's done. I highly respect what you guys have done. And I'm a big fan. And I also feel that responsibility. I'd love to give back. And I hope at some point I can carve out more time for that. It is something to see when you get somebody and you say, listen, this is a good career path and you're really good at Minecraft. Why do you like Minecraft? And how does that associate with computer programming? And there's some great programming classes to get in on Python and, and some things that we use in the enterprise level in the cyber realm. There's things that we can use. And teaching them and putting guardrails around that to make sure that they're doing it safely so that they're operating in an environment where they can't get in any trouble because obviously you don't want that, but putting some safeguards in place to make sure that we can teach them and then teach them the other side of it when they're old enough to understand the red team exercises and how those are beneficial for testing and assessment purposes instead of nefarious purposes. We can utilize these things as a quality assurance test and we do that frequently. So I love seeing that and kudos to you guys. I know you guys have got mentors all over the world and people who have gone through your programs and it's got to be fascinating to see that and see what they do with their careers and stuff. You guys have done a great job. So really big fans of your work. And we love the fact that when you came to the Detroit area, you reached out to us and you wanted to get involved right away. We've been able to watch you and maneuvering through your career and moving up and up and up and doing all the great things that you do in your space. And you're helping us to protect our critical infrastructures. I mean, there isn't an industry now that's not touched by technology. You know, used to be it was the other way around. It was there was technology and then there was business. And it's not that way anymore. I mean, even farmers have technology. You know, my son is a crane operator and it's like just playing video games, right? I mean, with some life and death consequences if his math is not right. And so, you know, he's got all these things that you put together out there. So there's nothing that doesn't touch by this. So, I mean, you're helping to keep us safe and our infrastructure going. And like Dan always says, he doesn't want to make friends with the Amish because they're the only ones who know how to survive through any kind of major breakdown in our you know, that he's just not made for that kind of work. And no, he's not. But it's a cool place. And I'm glad that you reached out when you did. And we got to know you and your family and all the exciting things that you're doing in your career. And that you're able to carve out a little bit of time here to spend with us. It's been a wonderful visit. Uh, we definitely have to, the minute we all clear it happens, we can get together again with you and Jenny and enjoy a good meal uh, on the boat. Uh, yes. Are you counting the days down to when the marina opens back up again? Because I know I always am. <laughs> I am. I, I Just until the sun comes back out. I'm, right, right. I'm looking Although forward to that. Well, so. these last couple of days, I got to tell you, me and the old man have been out on the walking trail because Good. it's actually been very nice outside. I'm like, yeah. what's going on? And if you live in Michigan, you go, oh, no, what's coming? <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. No <laughs> coming, but I got those couple of days outside with partially sun. And for Michigan, that's great. That's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Spend this partially sunny day with me and have a discussion. And I look forward to more of those. And again, looking forward to getting to see you physically. With Same here. Wife. So you take care. And thanks so much for spending this time with us. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast. If you would like more information on today's discussion, please contact Center Director Tamara Shoemaker by emailing shoematl at udmercy.edu. And please plan to join us again for the next edition of the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast.